HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we have stories about food in large quantities. From bulk buying groups and reasons for stocking up, to creative solutions for handling excess waste. We have someone picking up our corks from the wine bottles and they repurpose them to make buoys for boats and, and, and like shoes and all these different things. Yeah, because of the COVID, uh, everybody like uh, isolated at home. But uh, to see the people face to face is still exciting. So we kind of treat it like a chance to say hello to the people and to the friend. Listen to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and today I'm back down on the farm in the great state of Little Rhodey. My guest today is Catherine Kennedy, who is the fifth generation dairy farmer, and she's going to talk a little bit about the Wright Family Farm. Uh, here in North Smithfield, Rhode Island. Kate, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Kate Kennedy. I am fifth generation at Wright's Dairy Farm. Um, we are a dairy farm primarily at our core, and we've grown into a very much a value-added bakery and ice cream brand. Many people know us for our whipped cream cakes, but we, you know, the core, who we are at our core is a dairy farm. Uh-huh. And so you guys, not only do you have the dairy, but then, uh, what was it, back two generations ago, your grandmother decided that as long as you were selling milk, that you really needed to be selling something to eat with that milk. So she, <laughs> being an excellent baker, she wanted to bake. And now your bakery is kind of a major, like, what what role does that play? What How much of the percentage of your business comes from the bakery goods as opposed to your dairy oh. goods? Well, if you had asked me this before COVID, I would have said that 75% of our sales came from our retail store, our retail bakery, and about 25% were coming from um, dairy sales, whether that's it was ice cream, milk that we sold through our retail store, or milk that was sold off-farm through our wholesale route. Um, and COVID has just like totally changed all of that. Uh-huh. And so when you uh, talk about your dairy, you're, you one of the things that interests me about you when we first met um, 
is that you are not an institutional, you're not selling into institutions, which is how most dairies kind of stay afloat. Am I right? You are only a consumer facing. So talk to me a little bit about why your family chose to maintain that uh, style of business as opposed to going in for more institutionalized buyers. And, and how did that how did that work out for you during COVID? <laughs> uh, so we've always been a very direct-to-customer brand. Um, when we were selling milk back in the 40s, I mean, it was a direct, we were processing the milk on the farm and we were delivering it to com- customers. We always have had that face-to-face relationship. Yeah. Um, when we discontinued the home delivery route and we started having customers come to the farm, it was still like they're coming to the farm, they get to see what we're doing. That's a huge part of who we are is being able to experience part of our, you know, part of what you're you're eating is coming sure. to see the cows get milked and then That's right. taking home a gallon. Um, and why did we never go into institutional? I think it's you know operating our retail store has been enough to support the family for the longest time and we haven't we never really needed to get bigger than that right um and it wasn't really until the past you know six seven eight years milk sales were really declining that we've had to really start putting some manpower behind it to push sales um and part of that was starting a um an off a wholesale route where we're selling products off farm but it's still in a customer facing you know a lot of these customers it's convenience is why we started the selling off farm we're one location people are super busy if they love our products they have to come here every week to get them and i thought that was kind of ridiculous in the good old age of convenience that people had to come here to get them so um and through covid whoo i mean during i feel like the lockdown happened it all everything happened so quickly and and when i remember back it was like every other day we were just processing all of the milk that we could like we were milking the cows everything we had on site was getting processed and sent out to customers which is so new for us we always have a surplus it's what we use to balance ourselves um the surplus gets sold to agrimark which is there's a lot of regulation and for oh. people who don't know, Agrimark is a big New England co-op like Dairy Farmers of America. Mm-hmm. It's it's a big organization or Guida in um, in uh, Connecticut. These are big processors who then mix everybody's milk together and then it gets packaged under either it's Guida label or it's uh, I think even Rody Fresh is processed by, by Guida. Guida and yeah. I think that they but their milk is kept segregated. We hope. <laughs> Kate, thank God, has a, she has a mask on, so I can't actually see the expression of dubious. <laughs> but we're not going to say a single bad thing about Rudy Fresh. No, because everybody is everybody is working for the same goals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, but you, you know, you one of the things that's interesting about you guys is you only at the moment you're milking. What did you say? A hundred cows. One hundred and thirteen is what right? we have on site, and your max would probably be about one hundred and forty, given the land you have. You're keeping them in barns. They're not out on pasture. So yeah. you don't really, and I saw the barns, by the way, they're beautiful, immaculate. The cows are not making a peep. They kiss each other. I took <laughs> photographs of that. I mean, it was unbelievably cute. You know what it's like. I mean, a cow, if you've never been to a dairy farm, it's worth taking a trip just because it's so really adorable. <laughs> yeah, we have nothing to hide. We... But, but the thing is, is that you, you know, to stay at your level, I mean, that would make one, you know, that's one reason why you haven't become institutional. Um, yeah. But were there other 
because at that, uh, you know, 15 years ago, institutional seemed to me like the way for dairy farms to go. And you guys resisted that. Yeah. That um, and actually, we talk about Roadie Fresh. And when the co-op was first starting, they came to my family and asked if we wanted to be part of the co-op and really wanted us to process the milk here. Right. Um, and my grandfather was adamantly against that. Why? Primarily because he had worked his whole life developing our brand and he felt like to give up that was going to be like lessening our product that we worked so hard for. So when you think of it that way, I understand it. I think now I would love to be processing milk for Rhode for Fresh so that it's staying in Rhode Island. It's just yeah. we don't have the tanks to be keeping milk separate like that. Or, or I was going to say, you would. I mean, the only way it would work for you is to keep the right brand milk in its own iteration and then all the other milk you know it's a co-op so people expect uh that it's not just one farm's milk but i want to talk a little bit about your brand because when we were you were giving me the tour um i i loved the idea you you floated about milk having a terroir and i wanted you to talk a little bit about the flavor of your milk and how you achieve that flavor and how it may be different from other uh from other brands of milk around here or even from roadie fresh so gonna have to buy some actually. because we are growing a lot of our own feed on a, like land that we're either renting or we own ourselves we are very much in suburbia there is not a ton of great vast open spaces we have like five acres here six acres here sure. um and we're growing that we have that corn and hay and it's you know it's soaking in the sunlight from where we are it's getting affected by localized storms it's the you know other little herbs and stuff that happen to grow in that particular pasture all of that is going into the feed um and that's never going to be the same for two farms you know uh -huh. we we grow corn we grow a lot of hay some farms may grow soybeans or they may grow all different different kinds of crops that we, they would feed out but each of them sure. lends a little bit of different flavor to the milk i'm no no expert on milk flavoring that's my sister would be a great person to talk to about that um and she's a nutritionist so it's it's interesting i've gone along on rise with her to go to these other farms and actually get to try milk and see what the differences are because there are differences and i I have this like picturesque vision someday of there being, you know, several different Rhode Island brands that you can choose which one you want. Maybe one is better for baking, one is better for drinking with, um, you know, drinking with dinner, or one is better for cereal. Um, I feel like you can only get those flavors when you drink like a glass of milk, which it's funny, most people are like mortified by drinking a glass of milk. Oh, we I have people drinks who, milk. <laughs> my husband and I drink a ton of milk. We'll be eating dinner. We have like a gallon of milk on the table and people think that that's so bizarre. And I'm really lucky to have gotten a husband who's like a big milk drinker because it's not very common and he did not grow up on a farm. So oh, right. Yeah. That is interesting. He drinks more milk than I do actually. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was allergic to milk as a child. So I thank God grew out of it. But yeah, uh, yeah milk did not play a huge <clears throat> role in my life growing up. Um, but uh, certainly every other family I knew, that was what the FDA was telling you, the food pyramid was telling you, when, you know, even before that, I'm a baby boomer. So it was like milk was on the table, just like you. But that is not something you see in contemporary families at all. In no. fact, more likely you're gonna see kids drinking water or soda um, or juice, yeah, juice, which I considered like the worst. Yeah. I never, ever, ever allowed my child to drink juice. Yeah. <laughs> no, we drank a lot of milk. Yeah. 
And still, I mean, I drink whole milk and I, and I drink our whole milk, which I will also throw this little fun fact in. So most whole milk that you buy at the grocery store is standardized, which means that all of the milk going to the processing plant is all the cream is getting pulled off. Yes. And then they're using math to figure out how much cream they need to add back so that you get an exact three and a half percent for whole milk. You get a 2% for 2%, a 1% for 1%. Sure. We do not do that. Our whole milk is exactly how it comes out of the cow. So it's out of more like four, four and a quarter, so four and a half thick. percent. And it's super creamy because of that. You right. definitely are going to get a better mouthfeel than a state, like the, a whole milk that you buy at the grocery store. Yeah, I believe you. So it's great for baking. If anyone, even if you don't drink milk, like um, milk, you need it in a recipe is our whole milk is so great because it has that added fat. Delicious. So speaking of added anything. You, Kate, are responsible for growing an ice cream business. And, you know, one of the things when I talk to other farms, dairy farmers, um, a lot of them don't seem to have access or the ability to process some sort of added value product. Now, you guys were ideally set up for that because you had the industrial kitchens going already. So in addition to processing your own milk. So you were able to start an ice cream uh, venture. Tell us a little bit about the right scoop. Yeah, so milk sales, when you talk about like selling wholesale milk sales, the margins are very slim. Um, Pricing is super competitive because milk is a commodity. So you're not, it's really hard to distinguish yourself. Um, We've been lucky. We have a strong brand. So we are able to get a good, you know, a fair price for our milk. But when we talk about paying people really good wages and making sure that you're taking care of them, we really needed some products that were going to help increase the profitability of our milk products. Um, and ice cream is a fabulous thing for that. Um, and it was kind of a no brainer for us because we have the bakery and people already associate us with parties and kind of, you know, happy memories surrounded by, you know, desserts type thing. Sure. Um, and you know, when we talk to a lot of people about making ice cream, they often say your biggest challenges are going to be buying your inclusions because when you're first starting, you're not going to need a pallet worth of this. It's going to be really hard for you to find all of these things that we have a production bakery and we're buying all of this stuff in already. So in that sense, it's been super easy. We already have the relationships with the vendors. We already have the relationships for packaging and it's just, you know, diverting. So when you talk about inclusion, I just want people to understand you're talking about like having little tiny M&Ms and little chopped nuts. Like think about when you go to the, you know, ice cream store, the, you know, the scoop place and the, you have those little extra things that they can remember the mix-ins. Anybody who's old enough to remember the mix-ins, I think it was Baskin and Robbins who started that in Boston, or maybe it was Brigham's. But you go and they would like put your ice cream out on a marble slab and then throw all this crap into it. Yeah. Like I personally like my ice cream <clears throat> unadulterated. <laughs> there's I don't two want camps, you know. Anything. In there's my the ice pu- cream. there's the the ice cream purists who want nothing totally. but like plain vanilla Fruit or is okay. Okay. Fruit and ginger because mm. we made ice cream when i was a kid a lot mm. ginger sounds really good we did oh, a candy ginger we did an orange ginger, ginger. Your custard. <gasps> we did a, um, a couple of years ago we were at the local food fest for um farm fresh their big fundraiser that yeah. they did every year and we paired up with steer orchard we made a peach ginger ice cream that we served with these little like crumble cups oh my god they were so good yeah that sounds brilliant so super yummy so to go back to how uh you know so you decided instead of making cheese which you know would be 
another direction you could go in. You guys went for the ice cream option. And we have spent the past year looking into cheese as we're coming up with this, you know, we, we're going to be renovating our processing space and we really wanted to see like, where's the growth? Um, and cheese is hard. Cheese is really hard. It's, I think it depends on your cheese though. I mean, if you're making like cream cheese, uh, the equivalent of fromage blanc, yogurt. Yes. And those are yogurt where we've been experimenting with buttermilk and it, I think within the same lines as a drinkable yogurt could potentially right. come out of that. Um, with cheese, it's more like the facility for cheese making has to be pretty much like cheese only. Yes. And in order, and then they also have like the aging. And so there's a lot of factors that we just, we don't have a great skill set for. Whereas, you know, ice cream, our head ice cream makers coming from a pastry background, she works, you know, three days in the bakery, two days in ice cream, right. and is able to take all of that knowledge from the bakery and build it into our ice creams. And right. some of our most popular flavors that we've come up with are flavors that feature bakery products in them. So compost cream is a flavor that is everybody loves. And what is compost cream? We make these full sheets of pecan diamonds and walnut magic bars and coconut magic bars. And when before they send them out to the retail store, they take the sides and they trim all the edges off. And sure. Usually they just get tossed in a bucket and out they go for compost. Um, but they're like the best thing to snack on because they're the crunchy little bits from the sides. Yeah. And so one day I was kind of like, you know, we're putting all this in the compost. Like, yes, we're composting it, but it's food and it's so good. And there's got to be something that we can do with this. And I mixed it into ice cream with some chocolate ganache and compost <gasps> cream was born. And it's, <laughs> it's like a great flavor. And we've just kind of been building on that. So we um, came up with a flavor cow cake, which is based on our cow cake that we sell in the store. And it has, you know, the same chocolate curls that are on the edges. And there's actually chocolate cake in the ice cream. So uh -huh. um, carrot cake is something, same thing. It's our actual carrot cake. We, we have them save all the edges and then we put that into ice cream. So that I feel like is our kind of our unique we're taking this this bakery, which has been value added, and now we're making ice cream, which is adding more value on top of that. So it's really playing to our strengths. Fantastic. It's a great story. So we're going to take a short break now and uh, have a sponsor drop. And then we'll be right back with Kay Kennedy from Wright Family Farms in North Smithfield, Rhode Island. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. 
Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. back to talk more about ice cream who doesn't love to chat about ice cream but i mean to go back to that sort of like how you make the calculation like i'm so fascinated by the way you guys have maintained your scale even as you sort of expand but you're expanding in this kind of very um what do i want to say organic way um so like yes you had the bakery um and you know and then the question is like should you add more cows well no that's not going to work for you because you don't have the footprint and you know, you do ice cream instead of doing, you know, maybe you'll do yogurts, but who knows. But, you know, like you're, like how you make those calculations is kind of what I'm interested in here. What do you think? Is it just, it just happens naturally because it's, you know what you're doing? Or uh, I don't think we know what we're doing. We make, a fair, <laughs> we make a fair amount of mistakes. I would say what's helped me tremendously in the business, I was part of one of the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business programs that they host oh, in Rhode right. Island. And that for me was a huge game changer um, just to be thinking more strategically and it's okay to say no. And I feel like that's something that as a business, we've never really felt that it's okay to say no you know it's we have these customers we have to we have to fulfill every single demand that they have and sometimes we would come up short and for you know several reasons instead of just saying like actually that's not us that's not what we excel at that's not what we're good at and it's okay to not be good at everything that's why there are other businesses um but i think Along with that, um, or I guess what's challenged a lot of those things that I've learned at the 10,000 Small Business Program is just the nature, I guess you could say, of our family kind of business spirit, which is prove that you have the customers for it and then invest in the good facilities that you need. So you just toured our bakery facility. That's right. That. <laughs> that was so long overdue to think that that was just built five years ago and to look back on like where where we were processing out of like it was a shoebox it was so tiny and i'm telling you people just so you know this place is top of the line everything is good she had ovens i've never seen before i've been around a lot of commercial kitchens in my lifetime and uh it was just and the quality of the work i mean i haven't tasted it but just the way because you've got johnson and wales to draw from so you know how lucky is this organization that they have that talent pool so readily available um and speaking of talent let's talk a little bit about labor because we were mentioning earlier that you know you had to give hazard pay you had to change your business model um but just in general how how hard or how easy is it to find people to work really managing the cows and doing the, the real the grunt work of dairying, not the not the fun stuff of piping on your you know decorations. <laughs> it's it's a lot of work. Um, finding one of our core values is get shit done smarter. Yeah, um, it's probably the core value that we all embody the most. We're a bunch of doers, and um, sometimes that can be hard for us. And something that we're learning as a management team is like we're we need to be better at coaching people to get them where we want them to be instead of like that person's done, get them out of here. Um, but we have some of the best employees ever. I mean, my group in the dairy that I manage, there's about six of us who work all creamery stuff, ice cream and milk processing. And if I didn't have that team going through COVID, we would not be here today. Like Amazing. it was, 
Um, we actually just this past Monday had a social awareness training just to kind of remind everyone that we're in unprecedented times and there's a lot that people are dealing with and there's a lot of sometimes behavior that comes out as a response to that. Um, <laughs> that, you know, Wait, everyone's please, got their own situation. Right <laughs> First of all, we forgot to describe what you've done since COVID because no one goes into their oh, bakery yeah. anymore. So they have what they call a car hop mm -hmm. system. And what did you tell me? You had processed how many? We're doing a, on average 4,500 transactions a week. So that means that every system. single transaction, that product gets packaged. It gets put into a bag with somebody's name on it. Somebody's reading those orders off the internet, I suppose. Yeah. And then, and then that person, then you drive up and you get into a numbered parking spot and they bring the products out to you. So that's a huge amount of labor right there. And was just like a huge shift for us. Yeah. We, we switched to car hop the week before Easter, which is one of our biggest holidays weeks of the year. And it was, we just, we, as we were going into lockdowns and they were limiting how many people, it got to a point where we had a line wrapped around the building because we could only let 10 people in at a time. Our store is very small. And it just, it wasn't efficient enough to service customers. We're much more efficient this way. We can get products to people more quickly. Right. It's safe. There was a lot of like, that person's too close to me. And we just, we did not want to have to spend time policing people. It right. Was, so that goes back to the social awareness training that yes, you just exactly. implemented. Tell me a little bit about the social awareness um, training. We work, we work with um, <laughs> an HR group who really helps us. And they were the one who came in um, and we had, Alex, we did it as a leadership team, our management team, all of our kind of top managers. And after getting the training, it was like, I think everybody really needs to get this because it just, it really was just an eye opener to be like, you know, maybe someone's being passive aggressive because of something totally unrelated to work. And it's, I'm getting upset about it. And really it has nothing to do with me. And it's just kind of thinking bigger than yourself. Um, so I think we could all take a little lesson in that. I mean, yeah, people are super cranky. There's no question about that, mm -hmm. um, which I think is driven mostly because we're all scared to death. Yeah, um, we were super worried about opening the ice cream trailer. Like I the bet. first two months that we did ice cream, we were doing car hop just like everything else. And I just, I didn't know if people were going to feel safe, like being in the trailer, if, you know, but we ended up opening up the beginning of August and it was really like a nice, um, thing for the community. I think it was a sense of normalcy. Okay, we can at least go get ice cream, you know, like it's a right. pandemic, but we can go get ice cream and sit in a picnic table right. and have a sliver of normalcy. So right. um, we're still going to beat sales from last year, which I'm like amazed by because sales are been all over the place. Bravo. Um, not, uh, not our goals that we wanted to hit before knowing COVID, but right. I'm super happy of where we're at. And well, you haven't lost money and you're not dumping milk. <clears throat> which yes. is more than probably 90% of the dairies, you know, outside of the organic dairy. I mean, yeah. organic dairies, I don't worry about so much, but the conventional dairies like you guys, uh, you know, those, those farms are all going down or they're being acquired by the big, you know, the big ones. Yeah. The big monsters. And, and it's something that we taught, you know, we're, I think we're getting much better as a group to be more strategic about growth. Um, you also asked earlier about, you know, how have we maintained, like, I feel like we haven't like spoiled who we are, I guess. We're still really true at our core. I feel like some businesses grow and they kind of lose that. Yeah. And I, I attribute that to, you know, my mom is an owner and she's on the floor all the time. We're all, right. she lives across the street. I mean, I'm here, I'm available by phone. Like we all 
we're like we we live the business you know right. the, the week before a holiday my husband like loves christmas he always has these memories of like oh christmas is such a magical time and like for <laughs> me it's like christmas is business like yeah. everyone's at the farm that's where the action is we're all part of it you like live for those rushes yeah um and i think that's what you know because we're here because we're in it we want to make sure that it's really we're living up to what it is we say sure. that we're doing absolutely well it's it's really it's a beautiful business gorgeous property um, is there any other aspect? Oh, we wanted to talk a little bit more about labor. Like, where do you get your labor? Who's working on you? Who's cleaning the cows' right titties now? before you milk them up to the milk <laughs> machine? I mean, a lot of family on the farm side, really. Okay. So there's, I think, four full-time farm workers. It's my dad, my uncle, my brother-in-law, <laughs> and then we have a couple part-time people. And, you know, what, one of the other full-time guys, he worked on a big farm out in the Midwest. You get these kind of people who have had farming in their background or just love to be around animals and that's who we tend to end up getting on the farm side um and then on the bakery you know obviously we're pulling from johnson wales right now we have probably four johnson wales interns that we're working with um it was a challenge actually for a while to work with the Jaywoo interns because they would come in for a semester and leave right before Thanksgiving. And at that yeah. point, I was like, we've trained, you know, we need a body that if we're going to train them, they can at least stay and help us through the holidays. Because if not, we're going to lose a spot and then we need to fill it the week before a holiday. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but Jaywoo switched up all of their trimesters and stuff because of COVID. So that actually worked in our favor. Huh. Um, that would be something I would mention to them. Retail store <laughs> is. Um, it's a lot of high school kids, yeah. college kids who, you know, need a part-time job and that's been a great thing for them. How much, it, how many people do you employ here all We're just under a hundred people, uh -huh. both full-time and part-time. And that's in a very, let me just say, this is a very rural area. Yeah, we're not accessible by a, is, a bus route. This is not, not a place that it's, not an area that it's easy to find work, right? Yeah. There's not a lot of retail going on around here. This is farm country, believe it or not, with small state. But we got a lot of acreage, yeah. you know, yeah. in farming, and it's, I would imagine it would be very challenging to find people to work, you know, as much as you need them, you know. Yeah, I've, the I've just resorted easier. to um, stealing my friends who work <laughs> at other places. <laughs> um, pretty much everyone who's working in the dairy right now is someone that I've known from some other path that I bumped um, our head filling operator right now with someone uh -huh. I met through the Young Farmer Network. And we happened to be talking and the the farm that he had been working on for a while is a large greenhouse operation. They were, you know, in the process of like kind of retiring and not, you know, being as productive and he needed a job. And I was like, hey, if you know how to work on a farm, then I can keep you busy. Yeah. Um, and he's super mechanically minded. So that's been great that's because huge. there's a ton of equipment in the dairy and it's old equipment and he's not afraid to tinker with something. So yeah. he's been a huge addition. Um, Logan is our kind of manager in the dairy, our production manager. And I, he was where he worked at Nixon Broadway for five years as a chef. <laughs> and really just like wanted to be out of that culture it was nights it's was you know 14 hour days yeah restaurant work is hard and he was you know he wanted to he was transitioning to be a teacher which is kind of funny now with all the covid stuff um and in that transition while he was going to kind of taking some classes he came in and was helping us kind of out of necessity we had um a staffing shakeup, and i had known logan we were friends and i was like hey you want to come give this a try and 
he's been such an asset um, to the team. He just has a great mentality and he's a doer and it's, he's happy because he gets a better schedule. You know, it's Monday through Friday in the dairy. Yeah. We don't process on the weekends. We don't process nights, although we did <laughs> process some nights through COVID. I felt like we were here around the clock. Um, and then through Logan, we got Kaylee, who you just met, who was also at Nick's on Broadway doing pastry. Uh-huh. And she joined us about a year ago. Um, and now she's one of our head ice cream makers and she works in bakery production. So I'm really, I go for people who I know are gonna, you know, hold our core values and are gonna work their tail off and really care. I feel like that's the biggest thing. Everyone here cares so much. I joke about like, you have the baby and it's like you're strangling it to death because you love it so much you're just squeezing it so tight we that's yes. more of our problem than nobody caring it's like we yeah. all care and we're all very passionate and how do we channel that energy and make sure that we're not stepping on each other's toes in the process and encouraging each other to grow in the directions they need to grow you know so that's i mean really that's an admirable managerial technique and a huge thing for us as a business in the during covid we actually hired a coo who's non-family who's really the first person on our executive leadership team who's non-family for since forever since you opened as a farm yeah and it's we've just kind of we've hit a point as a business where like we're just like hitting ourselves against a wall because we don't know how what it's going to take to get to that next level and well what is that next level i mean what are you looking for you're expanding you you you, you've done your added value product here with your ice cream you've got the bakery going that's gangbusters and has been forever you got the milk processing you're at capacity you don't want to have more cows so where where do you want to go with this? Like, what are you hoping are to you achieve? Are you familiar with Zingerman's? I sure am. So that is very much the model that we're looking at. Having sure. um, a kind of a parent company that's looking over, you know, the marketing, the HR, the nitty gritty that no one really loves doing as right. a small business owner um, and really developing a collection of businesses. So the right scoop is kind of a, a beta that we're testing this with. Right. That would be, we're kind of trying to differentiate it from the bakery which has been really easy. I thought, oh, we open, we're going to open an ice cream shop on at the bakery and it'll be all of our bakery customers. But ice cream customers are like huh. a totally, we've had so many customers come here and they say, you have a bakery here? What do you sell in that bakery? And I'm like, hi, hi, Sorry. no worries. I was just early to open, but I can wait a few inside. Two more minutes. Okay. okay. No, sorry. Thanks. Don't worry. Um, we are in just for people we are in the ice cream <laughs> trailer right now where they sell the ice cream. So, um, <laughs> but there was, I, I, I love what you're talking about, the Zingerman's thing and like open and like creating a portfolio. Of yeah, businesses. we, you know, we thought about, okay, what if we just franchise the farm? And it's like, you know, the farm is coming to the farm and experience the farm is half of it, you know? Yeah. So to say that we're going to have all these little satellite, we just feel like that's going to lose part of who we are. Um, so we're looking at, you know, could we open more of like a high-end um, desserts and maybe alcohol in Providence that, you know, different concepts. Our uh-huh. idea is not to just keep getting bigger. And we're very conscious of where we are. We're on a residential road. Yeah. It's one kind of one lane in, one lane out. You yeah. know, we every holiday we're, we have traffic backed up on the road. We're super aware of that. We know that we're pushing our limits here. 
um, and it's time to move off farm, but what does that look like and how do yeah. we do that? And that's part of the reason why we brought in the COO to really help us. We all, I think, are looking towards it. Um, succession planning. I mean, I'm the first from the fifth generation and it, I mean, our generation spans, my sister's the oldest at 38 all the way down to four. So it's a very wow. like yeah. spread out um, generational. Yeah. And we're just, you know, we're taking it slow and we try to make sure that things feel right before we, you know, go get Keep too ahead of ourselves. Very smart. Okay. One more question and then I'll let you go. Cause we are at the 32 minute mark. I try to keep it around 30. Um, if you could put a flea in local government ear, say it was Gina or Ken Ayers, who's our secretary of agriculture here. What is the message you would most want them to know about supporting small businesses like yours? Uh, in, you know, in through the next, you know, the coming years and decades, especially if things remain as yeah, dicey I, as they it's, are. I really, it's regulations are so challenging. You know, I'm, I think of it every day that I'm so, so lucky to have been in this family business that has all this capital and experience behind us that if I were, I wanted to just start an ice cream shop by myself, like the hurdles to do that are astronomical, you know, right. in order to make ice cream mix and sell it off farm, it's got to be in a certified dairy plant. And then there's just so many layers. Um, and I don't know how we solve that. I think a lot of the regulation is moving towards self-regulating through food safety plans, yeah. but it's, you know, understanding what goes into that and really making sure that you know, you want your processors to really care and want to process good foods. And I just think some of the regulations come from, it's like silly. When you actually take the regulation, you put it into practice. It's like, it's not actually protecting anyone. It's not adding value exactly. to your business. It's not, it's not helping you in any way. And it just, just makes it really challenging. And yeah. then I think you get a couple of those regulations that have that, like, this is, you know, eye rolling regulation and it yeah. kind of devalues <laughs> all the other ones. Cause it's sure. like, and right. then, you know, we don't even have enough inspectors to be keeping an eye on all of this stuff. And then it all just kind of like, so. Yeah. That's all right. So regulations say. need to be re-examined. Yeah. I'm sending this to Jen <laughs> right now. Anyway, Kate, thank you so much for giving me a beautiful tour. And, you know, I'll be popping in from our, I'll be disseminating my order from my car. <laughs> thank you so much for but having really, me. Fun. And when, um, the, when it posts, we'll send you a link. Fabulous. Right. Thank okay. you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to my sponsor and thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Stay tuned. Uh, see you then. Have a good week. Bye-bye. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. 
Thanks for listening.